You can find him on the digital pages of QSNation.com. You should follow him on social media for all the latest, including the, the I don't know what we call them, Mike. We call them Woj bombs with Woj. What do we what do we call the McAllister recruiting alerts? Do you have like a a catchphrase for him we should know about? Mac attacks. How about that? Oh, there we go. The Mac attacks. All the recruiting sirens that go off and big things happening. You can follow him there. Mike McAllister is back on the block. How are you, sir? I'm fantastic. How are you? I am great. Now, I got to start with this. Uh, I was on vacation the past couple of weeks, but, you know, keeping up on things, getting on the Twitter, and, of course, I always get the alerts from you when, when things happen on the recruiting front, and Syracuse gets a big commitment from Kalan Ellis. And when I say a big commitment, folks, I mean literally a big commitment. We're talking about... Six five, three hundred and fifty pounds, Mike. Wow! Tell us about this guy. Not often Syracuse gets a recruit that makes me look small, so I'm happy when they do, <laughs> right? So, but here's here's the interesting thing about this. Not you know, it's it's a really nice get because it's an offensive lineman with that kind of size. He had UCLA and Virginia both after him. UCLA as recently as the Monday before he committed, thought that he was going to come there. Um, so really nice job by the coaching staff to coach him away from Chip Kelly, who obviously um, has a strong recruiting reputation. But beyond that, the, the most interesting thing about this to me is when Dino started, his ties back to Hawaii from his playing days and first coaching gig and all those types of things were very well documented, right? When you're going over his resume, what is he bringing to Syracuse, et cetera. And so there was some thought that maybe Syracuse would look over to Hawaii as a possible new mild, small pipeline in the recruiting world. And they had offered a few players from there, here and there. Nothing really happened. Nothing really significantly materialized. In the 2021 class, he is the second offensive lineman from Hawaii to commit to Syracuse, who in the records that I've been able to, to look at and see, it would be the first two scholarship Hawaiian-born players at Syracuse University. So it took a few years for that connection to sort of work, but both of those offensive linemen, him and Austin Cowie is, is the other one, um, mentioned Dino's connection to Hawaii as part of the reason why they felt comfortable committing there. And then it's also interesting that when you're in a pandemic where all of the, the guidance and the guidelines say stay home, stay home, and you see a lot of recruits staying closer to home as, an, as a result of that, you have two players from Hawaii becoming the first two Hawaiians to commit to Syracuse about as far away as you can get. So all of those things I found very interesting with this. That is very interesting because – Look, you've got to be in that six-hour window, as you know. you got to do what you can in hot spots like Texas and Florida. Syracuse has mined Canada recently, but Hawaii? Yeah, that's <laughs> what what a new fountain they have seemed to, over, uh, to uh, discover here for recruits. And, Mike, it, offensive linemen, it seems like Syracuse has been on a roll there recently. So they got Ellis, who we described here, but other recent commitments and, and players they're chasing down on the offensive line. Tell us about them. 
Yeah, Wes, Wes Hoe is, is another one that, that has committed. He's another interior offensive lineman, just like Ellis. Um, Austin Cowie, who we've talked about, is um, the lone tackle prospect they've gotten so far. Um, but they're heavily involved with four-star offensive tackle Enrique Cruz, who has been hot himself on the recruiting trails, recently picked up Utah, Oklahoma State, Mississippi State offers. But Syracuse was his first Power 5 offer. They've recruited him as hard as anyone. They have a very good relationship with him, so I think they're going to be involved right down to the end of his recruitment. Tyler Magnuson and Tyler Marrow are two other offensive tackle prospects from the Midwest and a little bit out west, um, Minnesota and, and Idaho, that uh, Syracuse has recruited very, very hard and is, is in a good spot with. So, you know, Syracuse's offensive line haul in this class could end up being five or six deep and could end up being several players with multiple Power 5 offers, which is obviously really good, especially when you note the, the struggles they had along the offensive line this past season. We're going to ask Mike McAllister about the number 1 basketball player in New York State and a terrific relationship that he is forming with an SU assistant coach. But first, uh, we go from the future of Syracuse football to the the hope is the now of Syracuse football, Mike, and that these guys will play and training camp will proceed and they'll get some games here in the fall. We'll let all the big decision makers work that out for now. But as we continue to get closer to training camp, really ramping up here, what are the big things you're looking at with this team and, and what is coming together and, and what you're curious about on what will form in those days of camp before they're supposed to kick off on September 4th? Well, there's a lot of things to look at with this team, um, trying to build off of the 5-7 and seven season they had last year. But there's a couple of areas that I'm really looking at. One, I want to see from a defensive standpoint how that new scheme fits into the personnel they have what players that maybe right now we're not expecting to emerge that do because they're a better fit in that system? Do we see a couple of younger guys? Um, one guy I would point to possibly is Anwar Sparrow, who is a late addition to the 2020 class, but was someone that um, you know the new defensive coaches, their new linebackers coach, defense coordinator um, targeted and really, really liked and would have been someone they prioritized in the 2020 class had they been there throughout that entire cycle. So, you know, does a guy like that end up getting some playing time as a true freshman, assuming everything does go according to plan and everything plays? Um, I'm curious to see how all of that fits and then how they're able to install the new system without a spring semester, spring football, to work out some of those kinks. Second, I want to know from an offensive standpoint is, is what we saw along the offensive line towards the end of last season where we saw marked improvement. Do they take another step forward? Does that continue, or do they take a step back and go to what we saw towards the beginning of last season, which was a complete and utter train wreck? Then third, the wide receiver position to me is extremely interesting. Tristan Jackson left for the NFL. I think most people were surprised he decided to leave early. I still think it was a mistake, and he would have been better served coming back for another year. But regardless, he went. he's now with the Rams. One player that was pegged as a potential replacement for him in the lineup, Cam Jordan, it was just announced earlier this week, um, or, or over the weekend, I sh- uh, yesterday, I should say, um, that he has left the football program. So now you've got one of Tristan Jackson's potential replacements that's gone. Um, is Taj Harris really ready to be the number one guy? Who steps up as the slot guy with Sean Riley 
having left due to exhausting his eligibility? And then who starts at that other outside receiver spot? Can Ed Hendricks finally stay healthy and, and um, you know, use some of the talent that he had coming out of high school. A lot of question marks at that wide receiver position and really interested to see how that plays out. Yeah, I am too. I discussed this on the show a bit yesterday, Mike, in that you know, Dino Babers has always insisted that you don't need a number one receiver in this offense. If one emerges, then you feed him. Tristan Jackson's a perfect example of that. When he steps out and gets open as much as he does, you get him the football. But this could be, you go back to 2018, it was a even distribution amongst you mentioned Riley and Jamal Custis and Johnson and a few other guys. Like it was pretty even across the board. I think this year it could be more like that. You've got two terrific pass catching tight ends and Aaron Hackett and Luke Benson. Like there's options there. And I think that, that committee approach might better serve this offense as opposed to we've got to establish that that top dog. Yeah, and and, and especially one guy I'm really looking at. I think the slot position is really interesting. We've seen some flashes from Nike and Johnson, but a guy that I really, really liked coming out of high school, and I know the coaching staff was really high on him based on what he did in spring ball last year, is Courtney Jackson, um, who's, who's a youngster, was a freshman this past season, um, and, and I believe is a, was able to redshirt. But, you know, is, is he a guy that even though he's young, um, I think he's got an opportunity to earn some playing time, earn some snaps, and get out there. I do expect Nike is going to be the starter, but it wouldn't surprise me if you see Courtney Jackson rotating in there quite a bit. Um, but the offense in 2018 was significantly better than what we saw this past season. There's a lot of factors for that. Dungy with more experience than what DeVito had last year. Um, him being what he was in terms of a gamer, a warrior, a winner, etc. Offensive line being much more solid. This schedule played a little bit of a part in there as well. But having multiple weapons that you had to account for instead of it being Tristan Jackson and everyone else getting touches here and there, you know, it makes it much easier for a defense to focus on, on one guy than it does if they got to focus on four or five. And the emergence of those two tight end prospects that you mentioned um, and Aaron Hackett and Luke Benson, I think, can open up a lot of things as well if you can make them consistent threats over the middle. Yeah, and Mike, you mentioned Courtney Jackson a moment ago. There was, uh, boy, uh, this, this seems like a million years ago given what we've gone through, but last year at uh, I believe it was the first practice, if not one of the first, Dino Babers let the media stay for an extended period of time. I mean, to go to practice for an hour and a half is unheard of. Usually it's 15 minutes and you're out. But at that longer, extensive practice, you know, when you go to training camp and you're there most of the time for a short period, I call them pop guys. There's just guys that stand out even in a practice setting. Courtney Jackson was one of them. He was just, he, he was young and raw, and he knew maybe he wasn't going to crack the lineup, and he ended up redshirting, as you mentioned. But that kid's got talent, and I think that is definitely a name to watch. I agree with you 100% there. So that's football, and we're looking forward to that coming back, and we'll see how things go in terms of procedures and getting on the field and what the ACC decides here. Let's switch to basketball. You wrote about this recently. There is an elite 2022 prospect in the state of New York. He's the number one player in the state of New York, and that's Roddy Gale. He's got a pretty good relationship with Jerry McNamara, as you note here. Where, where do you think Syracuse stands with him right now? Yeah, speaking of pop guys, Rod, Roddy Gale's one of those that absolutely does on the basketball court, as do many of Syracuse basketball's top targets in that 2022 class. Um, Roddy Gale's interesting. He's from the Niagara Falls area. 
We know Syracuse has success with some players from the Niagara Falls area in Paul Harris and uh, Johnny Flynn. And Gail's a guy who looks up to those two players. He said they're really the only two that have come from this area and gone to a major Division One program. And he wants to not only follow in their footsteps, but surpass what they were able to do both at the college level and in the professional ranks. So he's a guy that um, is extremely talented. He's an elite prospect. You know, he's a, he's a top 50 type of a guy. Um, it might even be underrated as a top 50 guy. Um, but Syracuse is, is, if I had to put odds on it or, or say where Syracuse stands, I'd say they're probably the favorite for him right now. Just based on that relationship, based on the fact that, you know, he grows up watching Syracuse basketball being an in-state kid and sees what Paul Harris and Johnny Quinn at Syracuse, I think all of those factors end up with, if I had to make a guess on where he's going to end up, put a quote-unquote crystal ball prediction in right now, I'd say it, it would be Syracuse. Michael, always appreciate the time, appreciate the insight, enjoy your summer. Hopefully we'll be having somewhat of a normal football conversation as camp gets underway next week. We'll continue to get the updates as we go here, but thanks for the time today, my friend. Anytime, Brent, appreciate it. Mike McAllister, 20 questions for the 2020 season. It is up now for your perusing enjoyment on Syracuse.com. But here's what I'm going to do for you, the great radio audience. I am going to uh, essentially do... This could actually be like a fun daily segment. I think we have a new daily segment maybe percolating here, maybe coming together as we hope Syracuse football will play in some fashion, right? Training camp, they're in camp now, a different kind of camp. It's strength and conditioning work. They're all together. For all we know, we don't get public results from testing, but you know we haven't heard anything. I haven't heard anything to indicate there's an issue with COVID testing at Syracuse, which is good news, right? So... We hope training camp starts as normal, and I put that in air quotes, next week, and we head towards some sort of season. We were supposed to get clarification on that tomorrow. The ACC was supposed to put out a schedule model. That apparently has been kicked down the road a little bit until next week. Okay, so let's just keep previewing and talking football until they tell us we can't anymore. So here's what I'm going to do. In NFL Blitz style, one of our favorite segments during football season, the NFL Blitz, where we preview every single game in the fastest 10 minutes in radio, we're going to do the Syracuse football blitz for you because we've got a good reason to do it. I'm not going to answer all these questions in 10 minutes because, I I mean, I'm good, but I'm not that good. But I'm just going to give you a taste, a little sliver of those 20 big questions I have for Syracuse football, a little, little sliver, a little slice an orange slice, if you will, of the answers to those questions. So cue up the Blitz music. Let's do it. I know it's NFL music, but bear with me here. I don't have 10 minutes worth of college football music. Who is the real Tommy DeVito? That is question one. And as I detailed in our top six list yesterday, Tommy DeVito is responsible for a number of extreme stats. There's great stats like Oh, you know, he's the only quarterback in the FBS who had multiple touchdowns on throws of 50-plus yards downfield last season. And then there's the fact that he was sacked 50 times last year. So who's the real Tommy DeVito? Will he please stand up? Which leads to question number two. And question number two is, why will the offensive line be better? Answer, well, they've really got nowhere to go but up. Better answer, experience. Four or five starters back and 
We still haven't heard anything on Chris Blake. The transfer from Florida, I don't know why. I mean, I do know why. It's the NCAA, but I still don't know why because, I mean, can we please get an answer on if he's eligible this year or not? Can't be that hard to figure out. But part of the offensive line getting better leads to question number three. And question number three is, can Syracuse fix its penalty problem? Well, they better don't, well, fix their penalty problem because they committed 107 penalties for 887 yards last year. Only five teams had more in the FBS last season, and a lot of those, not certainly limited to that, but a lot of that came from the procedure issues on the offensive line. Question number four, does the offense have a number one wide receiver? Well, Mike McAllister and I just discuss this. The answer right now is no. Taj Harris certainly has all the tools to do it, but I don't think they need one. Which leads to question number five. Does the offense have or need a number one running back? And again, I don't think they have one there, nor do I think they need one. I think they'd be smart to utilize the different talent sets of Abdul Adams, of Jawar Jordan, of Jarvion Howard. Power, speed, mix of both. Go by committee until someone stands out. Question number six, how will the offense change under Sterling Gilbert? Well, look, it comes down to this. You know, sometimes you go to the grocery store and think of something you buy all the time, right? Some staple in your life, the same soda that you drink, the same cereal that you eat. Well, even those longtime staples that are there week in and week out, they change the packaging sometimes, right? That's Gilbert, the new OC, same offense, just a different label on it. Now, as terms of the defense, question number seven, how will the Syracuse defense change under Tony White? Uh, this is New Coke. Hopefully not as bad as New Coke was, but meaning they're changing the formula. This is a complete teardown and reset of the defense. A 3-3-5, which they're trying to install, by the way, with three practices in the books, limited Zoom meetings and practice time and under normal circumstances, it's a defense that takes about two years to really install and be comfortable with, and they're trying to do it in a pandemic. Number eight, who is the most important Syracuse player to replace? I think you can make a case it's Tristan Jackson. I think you can certainly make a case it's Sterling Hoffrichter. Not often your punter gets drafted, but my choice... Alton Robinson. Number nine, how will playing in an empty stadium affect these players? Honestly, I don't think much at all. In watching sports recently, and these are all professionals, mind you, student-athletes will, I think, be affected by this differently, but they just want to play. I think they'll get over it. I think the Dome will be one of the most unique places to see it because it's an indoor facility, but they'll get over it, and they'll play. Number 10, who's the best player on this team? Well, that's easy. The answer to that is Andre Sisko. Plain and simple. No offense to the great Andre Schmidt. You can put it this way. The two best players on this team are both named Andre. I'll let you decide uh, which one it is, but it's it's Andre Sisko, folks. Those are the first ten questions. We move on to part two. Number 11. Will another losing season put Dino Babers on the hot seat? The answer to that is no. The answer is no for a number of reasons. One, we're in a pandemic, and firing a coach in that situation, I think it's going to be difficult. Short in season, all things considered. Number two, they just gave him a contract extension. Number three, is well-liked. Number four, 
I know I'm adding. These are sub numbers to question 11, by the way. I didn't, I didn't start over. Number four, listen, you got to invest in a coach. You can't just go to the ATM, keep getting money out. Once in a while, you got to make an investment. Dino Babers made sweeping changes to his coaching staff after a disappointing five and seven season. Now you got to let that marinate, settle in, and come together. I do not see a scenario. Doesn't mean it's not there, but I don't see a scenario that puts him on the hot seat, especially considering the circumstances of this college football season. Question number 12, who is Tommy DeVito's backup? Now, I think the answer that pops to mind there is Rex Culpepper. He's the most experienced player. He'll get the call if Tommy DeVito goes down. But see, folks, it's not an if, it's a when. You look at Syracuse football in the last four years, the backup quarterback is going to play significant minutes. Clayton Welch had to do it in 2019. DeVito had to do it himself in 2018. In 2017, Zach Mahoney and Rex Culpepper combined for 165 attempts. In 2016, Mahoney engineered, it was a loss, but helped engineer the highest scoring game at the time in FBS history. The backup's going to play. So Rex, get your arm ready. He's the guy that's going to get the call, but does that mean Syracuse has a viable backup quarterback different question question number 13 what position are you least worried about well i brought it up earlier it's the kicker because andre schmidt is a lou groza award winner and nominee and is automatic but a position i really like on this team is the secondary i mean we brought up cisco trill williams can play every position in secondary remember the legendary play that ended last season love what iffy melon Fon was bringing to the table eric coley's bringing to the table and it's going to take a while for this to settle in, but they've got a little more maneuverability, if you will. I think I just made up that word, in the secondary. I feel good about that secondary. There's a lot of athleticism, speed, and talent there. But that leads us to question number 14, and that is what position are you most worried about? Well, stop me if you heard this before, but it's linebacker. You lose Lakeem Williams. You lose Andrew Armstrong. 110 tackles, 78 tackles. They will not be easy to replace by name. They will not be easy to replace by scheme. The 3-3-5 is being put into place. Now, it gives the linebacker position a lot more flexibility to be the primary point of attack, but who are these guys? Babers wants bigger linebackers out there, so that's going to give a Tyrell Richards an opportunity to go out there, be that guy on the weak side, be that flex guy to rush the passer. Michael Jones out there, who played in all 12 games last year, but he's only six feet tall. He's not listed as a starter. Will he be given that chance to start? Look, there's a lot of names on a depth chart. Who stands out right now? I have no idea. Number 15, who could be or what could be the X factor? I think this is actually an easy answer. Luke Benson and Aaron Hackett. You know that last year, they combined for nine touchdowns? Tristan Jackson had 11. Those two had nine, Hackett with six, Benson with three. Taj Harris and Sean Riley combined for three. You got to get rid of the ball quicker. The offensive line's got to be better. The X factor there is that tight end position. It is rich. Use it. Put the ball in their hands and watch good things happen. Number 16, how is the schedule this year? Well, it's in flux, but basically there's an opportunity for six wins there. 
for Syracuse. Boston College has a new coach. Western Michigan is reformatting. Louisville's going to be tough. That offense is explosive. you got to beat Liberty, even though I don't even think they're going to end up playing Liberty. Clemson's Clemson. You just got to move on from that one. Georgia Tech's got a new situation with a new coach last year. you got to win that at home. Wake Forest lost Jamie Newman, but is always tough. Dave Doran's retooling the defense at NC State. Florida State, if the schedule holds as listed, is going to be on short rest. Pittsburgh brings Kenny Pickett back and has probably the best defense in the ACC. Plyman's back. Jones is back. Ford is back. All those guys could have gone to the NFL draft, but they returned. We've got a minute left on the clock. Let's see if we can do this. Uh, what was the best Babers quote from the offseason? That's question 17. Uh, I'll just reference the column and have you read it. If you saw the movie Ford versus Ferrari, you'll enjoy that quote. Number 18, what is a fair expectation for SU football in 2020? Look, this is the year of no expectations. Okay, we're in a pandemic. We don't know how many games they're going to play. They have new coordinators, limited practice time. You can't come in with a this many wins or bust mentality. I'm sorry, you can't. What's my prediction? What? I got to make a prediction? Question number 19. I thought I got out of that this year. All right, fine. Five wins. And number 20, are they going to play football this year? The answer is yes. How many games are going to play? I have no idea. But I think they're going to find a way to do it. And we did it with eight seconds to spare. That's the Orange Football Blitz. We will come back with our top six list. Top six things we've been enjoying since sports came back. Stay right there.